All right, kids, if I could have your attention, because this is what we always do before the sermon, before we jump into the passage, give our young ones a heads up of what's coming. So <clears throat> I want to ask kids, do you all know what a counterfeit is? No. Any kids out there that can help us understand what a counterfeit is? Grace. Oh, Amelia, I'm sorry. You look just like Grace Donovan. Go, Amelia. Is it when you what? Counterfeit. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Uh, you know what? Yes, that's one meaning of counterfeit, is when you throw a fit on the counter. Good. What's the other meaning for counterfeit? The real Grace Donovan, do you know? Very good. Yes. Something. Yes. You can counterfeit a credit card. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Okay. Colby. False. Good. It means false. So like a false credit card. Fake. So counterfeits are, are fakes. They're basically fakes. Fakes. Uh, it's easy. Uh, you can get fooled by a fake, by a counterfeit if you're not paying attention. Um, Look at, uh, look at this. What is this? This is a rose. You know how old this rose is? Seven years old. I got this rose for uh, Ryan, for my wife, uh, seven years ago, and I gave it to her, and I was like, this is the most beautiful rose I could find, and she took it, and she's like, this is so beautiful. It's a fake, and I did not know that. I was fooled. It's a fake rose. I totally thought it was real. It's like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Fake. Okay. But she held on to it. Um, so we still have it, seven years old. Uh, so you can, get fooled, you can get fooled by a fake if you're not paying uh, attention. Uh, uh, you can also just, you can know something's a fake, but you can settle for it. Because it's just easier to like, ah, this thing's fake, it's counterfeit, but I can get this, the real thing I can never get. This bad boy right here, you know what this is? World Series ring 2017 when the Houston Astros won the World Series, uh, World Champs. Uh, we got a couple of these at home. Uh, they're not real. <laughs> they're fake. You know how hard it would be to get a real one? Like, you know, to be a part of the Astros, be a part of that club, it was just easier. It's just easier to settle for the fake one. And it looks real. Um, okay, how about this? Kids, you all know what these are? Have you all ever had these? Well, you're literally in for a treat today because I got some of these for you after the service. Okay, these are called runts. Runts. Um, and uh, you got all kinds of flavors in here. You got, uh, you got the green, I knew that was going to have green apple. You got the grape. Uh, you got an orange. These are just hard candies. You've got, this is a strawberry. But the, the, the best, number one, is the banana. This is the banana. So when I was a kid, we would go to the store and we would get runts. We would fight over the banana because it's the coolest looking one. I mean, and, and it's just, it was awesome. Okay, here's, what's, here's what they say about this banana runt. They say, they say, uh, okay, this thing, uh, it's not artificial banana flavor. Like all these other flavors, they're like artificial. They're fake flavors. It's not really a strawberry you're eating. They say you really are eating a banana. That the flavor of this is the original banana. Uh, nothing else, like you taste this and you're like, mm, that kind of tastes like a ban banana. Runts will tell you, no, this is what a banana tastes like. 
This is back in the 1950s, 70 years ago. Uh, they had these bananas that everybody ate. Well, now you can't get them anymore, but that's what this tastes like. So they say, Runt says, this is what a banana really, really tastes like. Like this is the real thing and you can't get it anywhere else, but right here. And I've got a whole bunch of these. So afterwards, you can come and you can taste what they say a banana really tastes like, as in with an artificial thing, with a fake thing. Some people prefer the fake thing to the real thing. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Let me tell you. Uh, how do you know? How do you know you're in a real church? Like, how do you know this is a real church? Is it because we have church written on the side of this building? We don't. It doesn't say church on the side of this building. Um, here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn that the Bible is going to tell us that there are actually some quote churches out there that say they're a church, but they're actually not a real church. That these are, these are fake, counterfeit, false churches. And the Bible says you actually really got to watch out for false churches because if you're not paying attention, you could get fooled. Uh, you got to watch out for them because some of the, these fake, these false churches, it's actually just easier to be in one of those churches because they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. It's like really easy to be a part of that church. Uh, and some think, oh no, like that, that this kind of church which is the fake one, is better than the one that says they're the real one. Like, this one's better. Okay, so let me ask you all this. What does a church do? Like, how do you know you're in a real church, kids? Throw some stuff out there. Like, what does a church do? First thing that comes to mind, Peyton. Worship God. What does it look like to worship? What do we do? Sing. We sing, which are just prayers that you sing. What else? Elizabeth. Someone preaches for way too long. What else? They talk about the Bible. Okay, what else? Richard. We talk about the gospel. Charlie, we have the Bible. We talk about the Bible. What else, what else do we do? Sacraments. Amelia, go for it. Oh, my goodness. We also talk about the bad. Like, what's some of the hard stuff a real church will tell you? Okay, and what about God? Like, what is God? Yeah, God doesn't like sin. And who sins? All of us. And who likes to hear that, oh, hey, you're really bad. And God has to save you because you're so bad. You can't save yourself. Like, that's, people don't love to hear that stuff. Like, that's hard stuff to hear. How about this? Oh, yeah, your life, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be full of suffering and hard stuff and you're going to get hurt you're going to be lonely you're going to get scared like people don't like to hear that stuff but that's what a real church tells you and what does a real church say there's the bad news and then a real church will tell you but there's good news and the good news is jesus is coming back that he's not left you that he has saved you, that he came down from heaven to save you from your sin and all that bad stuff, that he lived for you, that he loves you so much he died to save you. And yes, he's in heaven right now, but he is coming back to take you to paradise forever and ever and ever to be with him. That's our hope. Our hope isn't this world. That's another thing. Real church says, no, 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 our hope is in the world to come, heaven. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We are in our series in the book of Zechariah. Uh, if you're just joining us, 
real quick catch-up, easy catch-up. Israel had been taken into captivity by this nation called Babylon. For 70 years, Babylon comes in, destroys Israel, destroys the temple, takes the people away into Babylon for 70 years. 70 years later, Persia, the next big bad empire of the world, comes along, and they conquer Babylon, and they free the Jews. And they say, you can go back to your homeland if you want. We'll let you do that. Go ahead, and you want to go back, you want to rebuild Jerusalem, you want to rebuild your temple, worship your God, have at it. You're welcome to. So, a lot of Jews go back, and they start doing this stuff. But it's hard. It's terrible. They're suffering. They, they don't have the equipment. They don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They don't have, they're, they're being attacked physically. They're being threatened. You know, they're, people are telling the Persian Empire, these people are rebelling. They're, they're in danger constantly of their lives. They're in danger, and they, they look to God, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, you freed us, and you brought us back here, and we're trying to rebuild your temple to worship you. Where are you? And so God sends his prophet Zechariah to tell the people he is with them. And so he gives Zechariah all these crazy visions to give to the people that all speak to that God is with them. Uh, we are in our sixth vision. Now, we did, the, we, we did half of this vision last Sunday. Uh, this is a whole vision. There are two parts to it. It's one vision in two halves, and the two halves match each other. The first half of that vision, uh, what it prophesied was the end of the Old Covenant. The end of Old Covenant Israel. And the Jews of Zechariah's day, they didn't see the fulfillment of that, but the Jews of Jesus' day did with the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The old covenant order, it ends, but we know that there's something beyond the fall of Israel. There's a remnant of God's people that lives beyond the old covenant order of things under a new covenant order, the church which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so the faithful Jews become the nucleus of the community of faith under the new covenant of grace. But there's more to this vision. There is a warning to this new community too. Uh, so if you would, please stand for the reading of Scripture. We're in Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We're going to be focusing on the second half, but remember that mirrors the, the first half. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. Its width is 10 cubits. And then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is said on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. And then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes. And see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And then I lifted my eyes. Lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The women were wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted 
with the basket between earth and heaven. And then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay. Uh, In the first half of the vision, the scroll flies in. It executes its curse. And then the angel asks Zechariah, okay, now what do you see flying away? And you'd expect to see this scroll that flew in. You'd expect to see the scroll flying away. But the vision here, halfway through it, morphs. And now Zechariah sees a basket, and it's got a heavy lid made of lead, and there's a woman in the basket. And then two women with the wings of a stork, they come swooping in, and they pick up the basket, and they fly off. And Zechariah asks, uh, where are they going with that basket? And the angel says, they're flying the woman in the basket, off to Shinar, where where they will build a house for her. And you hear that. And maybe your initial impressions are something like, is this a good thing? Or is this a bad thing? Uh, Do we like this? Do we not? Do we don't like this? Shinar? Good? Bad? Stork women? Good? Bad? These are all good questions. Uh, The Hebrew word here for basket is a word that refers to a measure of volume. Like, so the basket is a container, and it's a container customarily used for holding two-thirds of a bushel of grain. Covering its round opening is a lid, and the lid in the Hebrew, uh, it's not just called a cover, it's actually called a circular talent, uh, which is a measure of weight. So you've got a measure of volume, measure of weight. The lid made of lead weighs about 75 pounds. And who cares about any of that? Okay. It means, it means the second half of the vision matches the first. You got the weights and measures here. You got these monetary terms. They're still being pictured here in the second half like they were being pictured in the first half, which means the problem with this woman wickedness, whoever she is, is still the same old problem that old covenant Israel had in the end. This swearing falsely stuff, this stealing, idolatry of money, idolatry of worldly power and glory. Whoever this woman wickedness is, she is guilty of idolatry. And what's picturing her idolatry is this vessel that she's imprisoned in. She's imprisoned by her idolatry. In this dramatic reveal of what's in the basket, the lead cover has to be momentarily lifted and then it's slammed down again. So uh, uh, it's mirroring what's come before. And this part about those two winged women with the wings of storks, that also matches the first half of the vision. Remember, We said last time that that 10 by 20 cubits scroll measurement thing, it's actually referring to where the scroll, the scroll of the covenant is kept uh, in the Holy of Holies. And what's covering the Holy of Holies uh, are these two mighty angels who uh, are are, uh, these statues that are uh, are made, they have those same measurements, the 10 by 20 thing. And their wings stretch across the lid 
on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, well, storks are called unclean birds in the Old Testament. So these two storked winged creatures, they're the unclean counterpart. And these stork wings, they stretch across, not the gold lid of the ark, but they stretch across the lead lid of a vessel containing unholy woman wickedness. And just like God used unclean Assyria and Babylon to take rebellious Israel into exile in the past, here's God using these unclean agents to remove this woman who is wickedness from his presence. And we're going to say, okay, okay, but why do these unclean, storked, winged creatures have to be women? And why, pray tell, why is the embodiment of wickedness depicted as a woman? Is this some of that Old Testament he-man, woman-hating stuff? Isn't like, really, I thought about this nice passage. Did you do that on purpose today, Blake? Mother's Day of all days. Isn't that just kick you in the crotch, spit on your neck, fantastic? Um, the answer to all of those questions, very good questions, is no. Like, no, no. Uh, God does not hate women. The Bible does not hate women. The Old Testament does not hate women. The Old Testament book of Proverbs depicts the embodiment of wisdom as a woman. Okay. And I know that doesn't just solve everything there. We're going to solve everything. Okay. <clears throat> the storked winged agents are women because they and woman wickedness, they're alike. And the figure trapped in the container is woman because she is Israel. And Israel is a woman here because she is pictured as the husband of God. Sorry, that doesn't make sense. The wife of God. There, he's the husband. She's the wife. She's depicted as the wife of God. Israel is the, but Israel is the unfaithful wife. Over and over again in the Old Testament, it's Israel, it's God's, uh, who are God's people, uh, who is called constantly an unfaithful spouse. Unfaithful to her marriage with God, she abandons God, and she commits adultery with the surrounding nations over and over and over to the point of prostituting herself. And so the prophecy ends with woman wickedness being removed to Shinar, wherever that is. We know wherever that is. The Old Testament, like in Daniel chapter 1, tells us that Shinar is in Babylon. So Zechariah and the people, they would hear this vision, and they would hear what sounds just like the Exodus. When Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt, think about like the ten plague stuff, the parting of the Red Sea stuff, the Exodus of Israel. The Old Testament described the Exodus saying, Israel is carried out on eagle's wings, and those are God's wings. And they're carried to safety. And God promised Israel, I will bring you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I will bring you to a paradise land of milk and honey. And I will build my temple and I will dwell among you. This sounds just like that. Except the opposite. Like This is a reversal of the exodus. In Zechariah 5, we have unclean demonic imposters carrying Israel away from God's presence. God swears to Israel, I will exile you out of the promised land into slavery, exiling you to a foreign nation that has enslaved you before. 
Babylon. And you will, dwell, you will dwell there, and I will not dwell with you because of your wickedness. Okay, now I know right there. There it is. There are the details, and I know that's a lot of details. <clears throat> Last week, I got to hang out with uh, one of you and your, your father-in-law, who's a pastor. And this week, I got to hang out with one of you uh, and your father, who's uh, a pastor. Uh, and so this, this pastor and I went to the same seminary. Uh, but not at the same time. He's a generation before me. And so we're telling stories about old professors. And uh, one professor of his that he had that I did not, but that all of my professors talked about was a guy named Richard Loveless. Uh, and one Monday morning, uh, Professor Loveless uh, had to travel uh, down, uh, from Boston down to New York City uh, to, to teach. And he, he managed to wrap things up early, much earlier than he thought. So he dashed to the airport. He got a ticket. He hopped on an earlier flight. He made it back to Boston in great time. He phoned his wife, surprised her that he was home early, and could she come pick him up? And his wife said, what do you mean you're home? I'm home. Like, where are you? Pick you up. And he said, well, I'm back home in Boston. I'm at the airport. Can you pick me up? And she said, Richard, you drove your car to New York City this morning. Richard Lovelace, Richard Lovelace was infamous for being the beloved absent-minded professor. Tons of stories like that about Professor Lovelace. Uh, and he would tell you the de he would tell you details, even little details. They're important. So I know there's a lot of details, but where do the de you're going to see where do the details take us? Because if you know the details, yes, there's a prequel with Shinar, no time, but you also know there's a sequel. There's a sequel. The details of the vision point us forward to its fulfillment at the end of the New Testament. In Revelation, in Revelation chapter 17, the apostle John has a vision and he is shown a woman and it says, on her forehead is written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. A lot of people get to this part in Revelation. And they say this mystery woman, Babylon, she's worldliness. She's worldliness. It's a symbol for our idolatry and loving things of the world more than God. And other people, they get a little more specific, and they say this mystery woman, Babylon, is a symbol for the world. Like, it's the global system that's against God and represents every great city in history. So it represents, yeah, Babylon, but also Rome, London, New York City kind of thing. Throw Houston in there. Others get a little more specific. And they say, no, 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 it's the, it's the political, specifically the political economic dimension of worldly society you know it's the institution of the state itself that's who the harlot babylon is and those are all totally understandable interpretations if all you have is revelation but all those interpretations they do miss 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 the mark and so they miss the big point and details are important Revelation is weird, yes, but like Zechariah, all its weirdness is not random. All the weird images in Revelation actually come from the Old Testament. So this stuff about 
uh, mystery woman Babylon in Revelation, it comes directly from Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah 5, woman wickedness, exiled to Shinar Babylon, is Revelation 17, mystery woman Babylon the harlot. What that means is you cannot understand this stuff in Revelation that's there about uh, harlot Babylon without Zechariah 5. And you actually cannot understand Zechariah 5 without that stuff in Revelation. The two interpret each other. And they give us the whole picture. And here it is. In Zechariah 5, the woman wickedness, she represents the unfaithful old covenant people of God. That's who woman wickedness is. She's Israel, unfaithful Israel. In Revelation, the harlot Babylon, it's not worldliness in general. It's not economic or political institutions. Revelation, harlot Babylon, is not about, it's not about unbelievers in general. It's the same as Zechariah, woman wickedness. The Revelation, harlot Babylon, is the false community of God. It's, it's the unfaithful New covenant people of God. It is the false church. Our, our Zechariah 5 woman wickedness and Revelation harlot Babylon, it's the false community of God that's broken off from the community, the faithful community of God, and it's merged with the world. The world city. So this is a warning for us. And the false church, it's called the city Babylon because the false church is an organized group of people like a city, but it's mutated and it has merged with the worldly city so that they're indistinguishable. It's hard to tell them apart. And that's why so many people confuse the mystery harlot Babylon as the symbol for worldly culture itself. And the false church is called a harlot because she has sold herself to a new, a new lover. It's the world specifically the world powers. The, the false church so idolizes the world and the world powers, it wants to look like the world powers. And it wants to have what the world has, which is power. Meaning, the false church might have the name of church on the side of its building, but it's possible that it has co-opted, well, if it's the false church, sorry. The false church may have church on the side of its building, but if it's the false church, it has co-opted. It's co-opted the means, and it's co-opted the goals of the world. Like, it looks like adopting the morals of the world. Like the world's views on sexuality, the world's views on identity, the world's views on personhood. It looks like the church adopting the world's political agenda, like a church aligning itself with certain politicians or parties. It looks like the church merging with the economic systems of the world and becoming a booming franchise. It also looks like this. Revelation 17 says that the harlot Babylon is drunk with the blood of the saints. Now that's a picture of the false church persecuting the true church. As in the true church is not just persecuted by the devil or by, you know, world systems and governments. It's also persecuted by the false church. And the false church persecutes the true church, sometimes physically, like inquisitions kind of thing. More frequently, the false church persecutes the true church with their heretical false gospel. 
preaching things like, and I'm not going to list something, this is just a, an example, preaching things like the Bible is, uh, has errors. You can't trust all of it. Or that Jesus is not fully God. Or that Jesus' death is not an atoning sacrifice. That being a Christian is about following Jesus' example. And Jesus is not the only way we get to where we want to go after death. And that getting to heaven is about being a good person. And the false gospel of the false church always results in the false church maligning the true church, denouncing the true church as intolerable and full of hate. And the warning to us is not that we are in danger of committing adultery with this alluring harlot Babylon. The warning for us is that we would become the harlot Babylon false church ourselves and that we would commit adultery with the world as she does. And so it would be really, really extremely dangerous for us here to look at harlot Babylon and just say, well, I'll stay away from her then. In, that, in Revelation 17, verse 5, it says that she is the mother of prostitutes, which, which means she's out there replicating herself. Right before that, in 17.1, it says that she's seated on many waters, which means her, 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 this is hard to say, her seduction extends across the world. And, and this is the thing, is the, the false church, it promises individuals, it promises other churches, it promises us luxury, and it promises us comfort, and it promises us life, and, and that we would have a, and we would have a much easier life in a false church, a church that is in reality a self-help, motivational sinner that's, that's focused on all the social issues of the world that won't challenge you, uh, that'll tell you whatever you want to hear, a church that the world can get behind. Right now, the world powers, they promise the false church so much if she will prostitute herself and sell itself to the world. But the world does not love the harlot false church, just like a customer does not love a prostitute. The only thing the world is interested in in the false church is what it can get from her. And vice versa, the false church does not really love her customer, just like a harlot uh, does not love her customer. Uh, the false church is not really, really in love with the world. As in the false church that's out there and has sold out the gospel and Jesus, the leaders of those so-called churches, the people who are committed to them, deep, deep down, they know. They know. They know they have sold out. They know they're hypocrites. They don't really love the world powers. The world powers are just their customer, just wants the world's power and influence and luxury. This is the warning to us. And this Zechariah vision at the end of the Old Testament would be such a Debbie Downer if not for this Revelation vision sequel at the end of the New Testament. Like, because here in Revelation, Revelation talks a lot about another woman. Harlot Babylon is said to be the mother of prostitutes. This other woman that Revelation talks about from beginning to end is said to be a mother. But she is the mother of Jesus Christ. And no, Revelation is not talking about Mary. 
in this in Revelation, in, in, in the middle of Revelation, in Revelation 12, where it really picks up with this woman, uh, here is the woman, and she gives birth to our Lord and Savior. And it's this vision, and in that vision, the woman is the church. As in, it is the faithful community of God that gives birth to her Savior, meaning historically, historically, Jesus is born in Israel. He really comes from the people of God. He's born into that faithful remnant, the believing community of God's people. So that woman there in Revelation, the other woman it talks about is the church. And this vision right there in the middle of Revelation, we're not going to read it, it's just too long, so you just, I'm, I'm giving you the sound bites, but this, this vision, it reveals the history. It, right there in Revelation 12, in the middle of Revelation, it reveals the history of this woman and her son, capital S. In Revelation 12, uh, in that vision, the devil is also there, and he comes like a, he, he's there as a dragon, and he's there to devour the woman and the child, as in Satan, this is true. In history, Satan actively tries to stop Jesus in his mission, during Jesus' life, and even in Jesus' death. And the vision says that Satan utterly fails. And so now, in rage, Satan takes the fight directly to the woman. And you're the woman, it's the church. It says that out of his mouth, he pours out a flood to drown her. But it says that God opens the earth and swallows up the waters. What does that sound like? That sounds like Israel's exodus and the parting of the sea. So then back to Revelation 12, the dragon chases the woman. But then God gives the woman two wings of the great eagle to fly from the dragon into the wilderness. He sends her into the wilderness. And that sounds like Israel's flight from Pharaoh on eagle's wings. So here's Revelation describing the reversal of Zechariah's reversal of the exodus into exile. See, this awesome. Like, here it is. God sends the woman into the wilderness, not into exile, but here he's sending her into safety. God delivers this woman from the satanic uh, uh, devil and from the world powers into the wilderness not into exile, but into safety. And so he, he saves her from the world powers. Yes, this woman is persecuted. I mean, let's like, here, wait, okay, wait. But we are persecuted on every side, everywhere we go. Yeah, the world powers, the harlot, false church, the devil, and all the forces of the evil, they do attack the church. They attack the woman, trying to destroy her. But our Lord and our Savior has come for us. And he has totally overcome, and he has conquered everything that opposes us. And he did it at the greatest cost to himself. He did it in his life and in his death for the woman. In the history of this woman, it goes much, much farther back. You know, this woman, the Revelation, it goes much farther back in the Bible, all the way to the beginning. And... and and the amazing thing is this woman has played the part of the unfaithful spouse. She has over and over betrayed her first love, but her Lord takes her back. 
and he saves her at the greatest cost to himself and he forgives her and he wins her back once and for all. And at the end of Revelation, in an amazing, here it is, morphing of metaphors again, this woman now becomes the bride, the wife of the lamb who is the Lord. And why is it wife of the lamb? Because the lamb who is the Lord, that's who he is to make her his bride. He has to sacrifice himself. He has to give up everything to win her back. And he does it out of love for her. The bride, the wife of the lamb. And that bride right there at the end of Revelation, it is also identified as a city. It's the holy city. She's called the new Jerusalem. The city of God where God dwells and the bride is dressed, it says, in bright linen. It says she is dressed in the radiance of heavenly glory itself. That is the destiny of the true church. There's a, uh, there's a story about a guy who goes to Hawaii for a uh, work event, and he, gets, he goes to Hawaii. It is not Richard Loveless. He gets to Hawaii, uh, he gets to Honolulu, and because of the time change, because of the jet lag, he's still awake at uh, 3.30 in the morning. So he goes out of his hotel, he goes down the street, he finds the nearest diner, it's still open, he gets a coffee and a donut, and then in come 10 prostitutes. And they're just talking, he's just minding his own business, but then he overhears one of the, uh, one of the girls say to another one, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. Do you know I've never had uh, uh, a birthday party? And the other girl says, like, what do you think, uh, am I supposed to throw you a party? And the first girl says, no, 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 I, I just wanted you to know it was my birthday tomorrow. 30 minutes later, they leave, and the guy who's sitting there asks the cook, he says, do you know uh, those girls? And the cook says, uh, yeah, they, they come in here every night. And the guy says, well, okay, who was the girl that was sitting next to me? And the cook says, well, that's Agnes. And so this guy says, well, Agnes said tomorrow is her birthday and that she's never had a party. What if we throw her a birthday party tomorrow night? And the cook lights up, and he's like, that's a, that's a great idea. I'll tell you what, you get the decorations, and I will spread the word. And so the, uh, the next night at 3.30 a.m., the diner is full of prostitutes from all over the city. Uh, and and uh, 3.30 a.m. rolls around, and Agnes comes in, and everyone yells, surprise. And she is in total disbelief. And she starts breaking down. She thinks she's going to fade. She's totally overwhelmed. They help her inside, and she's looking at the banners, and she's looking at the streamers. And then she sees the cake, and she loses it. They sing her happy birthday. They tell her to blow out the candles, and they're about to cut the cake, and she asks if she can take the cake around the corner to show to her mom because she's never had a cake before. And, and they're looking at her like, well, of course, it's your birthday. You can do whatever you want. And so she runs out. She takes the cake. And, uh, and so here is this guy who's now sitting alone in awkward silence with, with all of these women, all these prostitutes. And the guy, so then the guy says, he breaks the silence. He says, hey, everyone, Listen, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Uh, would it be okay if we prayed for Agnes on her birthday? And so this pastor prays for Agnes, and he prays for her salvation, and that she would know the grace and the love of Jesus for her. And then after the prayer, the cook turns to the guy, and he says, Dude, I didn't know you were a pastor. It's like, what kind of church do you pastor? And the guy says, pastor a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Who throws a birthday party for prostitutes, for adulterous people who constantly ditch their God for what the world has to offer? Jesus does. As in, there is someone 
who will not treat us like a harlot. There is someone who does not relate to us based on what they can get from us. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Like There is someone who, whose promises are actually true and they're actually really good. They're actually real. They're not fake. There's someone who makes good on his promises to us. And it's someone we can trust. This is the one who provides for all that we really want, who provides for all that we really actually need. Like, here it is. The thing is, we want to be a part of something pure. We want to be a part of something big and powerful. We want glory. That is what our Lord saves us for. And at the end, he doesn't throw us a birthday party. At the end, he's going to throw us a wedding feast that will never end. So let's stick with him. Let's pray. Father, we, we give you thanks because you're a good father and you love us uh, and you are full of grace for us. Uh, it, you are, your son is the faithful spouse and you have saved us and you are transforming us to look like him. We thank you for your grace. It is all by grace. We live by mercy alone. Father, help us to look to him and see his love for us. That it is not because of what we have done. It's not because of anything we'll ever do. It is because of what your son has done that you see us and you see him. That you love us like that. We praise you for doing what we can't do. And we pray that you would bless us to hold on to that gospel. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news. We are saved by our Lord and Savior, his life and his death for us. Father, help us to hold on to that and help us to hold that out, yes, to the world, even the world that persecutes us. Help us to hold that out to anyone who is willing to listen, knowing and believing that it is for anyone who wants it just as much as it is for us. We praise you on this day. In Christ's name, amen.